is the LDS Life Podcast on March 13th, 2016 at 8.13 p.m. I'm Kevin Williams. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, LDSLifePodcast.com. And uh, we've been having a lot of technical issues. That's why we you haven't seen many podcasts from me. But I think tonight we have actually figured it out. Uh, I did a call with Matt uh, Duhelm, who is going to be on the podcast. And um, it looks like we're going to be okay now. Now, Matt is with us. Matt, uh, you have done a lot of films, which we're going to get into. And one of the things we're going to talk about is Life Under the Horseshoe. But before we do that... Uh, tell us a little bit about your story, Matt. Where did you grow up? And uh, yeah, tell us about sure. your career in radio. And we'll reminisce about radio for a while. Okay, sounds good. Um, well, I'm from Northern California and got my start in radio in Santa Rosa briefly at this small uh, FM uh, country st- or oldie station. And uh, b- briefly went to a radio school there in California. And I just I started sending out resumes and I ended up getting a job uh, in. West Yellowstone, Montana, of all places. I don't know if we talked about that. No, I we didn't. I totally I, forgot about that until Mark now. Mark and Vicky from Life Under the Horseshoe said that you were from Montana, though. So no, I'm not from Montana, but, you know. Anyway, yeah, go ahead and talk to talk to us about that. I'm intrigued here. Yeah, it was a very interesting experience, though. I landed, like, a part-time sales and on-air position with this radio station, KWYS. It's an AM station. I have no idea if they're still there in West Yellowstone. But... It was it was bizarre because here I am doing part time like on air, and I actually lived in near Idaho Falls. So I would travel up on the weekends, do my on air shifts, two hours back down to Idaho Falls, and I would they would want me to sell airtime in Southeast Idaho for the station in West Yellowstone. So when people are traveling to West Yellowstone, they go through Idaho Falls, even though they couldn't hear the signal. I, I just couldn't figure out the job. I so I ended up like selling one contract to a, a small uh, car store in St. Anthony, car dealership. And, and then, you know, after a couple of months, I realized the owner was a drunk. Oh, no. Yeah, he, he really was a drunk, unfortunately. He would dr- be drunk all the time. His wife and his family actually lived in the radio station, like behind, you know, it was attached. Their house was attached. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it you know... I did get some good experience, but it just did not work out. He was just drinking too much. I just felt like it wasn't the best spot. And so, um, what was the format to, uh, in call letters? Do you remember? Uh, the call letters is KWYS. Hmm. And it was just a mixture of, of country and light rock from when I was there. This was in 90, 95, 1995. Wow. Not 1885, 1995. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, then I went back to California. Um, and then I went back again, and that's kind of when I started radio in, in Z103 in Idaho Falls, and I started all that. So, now, at, uh, now you and I have talked uh, in person, and uh, when we tried to do the last podcast, we'll reminisce about this a little bit, partly because I know a little bit about Eastern Idaho radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you worked for the Lee Group up in yes. uh, Eastern yes. Idaho, and yeah. um, radio is really bad these days. Uh, in fact, I was on uh, the Utah Radio Group on Facebook this weekend mm-hmm. discussing some issues with radio. I'm trying to encourage uh, the uh, former program director of X96 here in town 
<clears throat> to start his own internet radio station because I think he'd mm-hmm. be good at it. Uh, you may or may not have heard of Mike Summers. Mike Summers? Yes. Yeah, it sounds very familiar. I yeah. probably met him. Yeah. Yeah, he was the uh, program director of X96. Um, and then I think now he's at KCPK, yeah, KPCW. But, uh, yeah, radio's just really gone downhill, and the politicians have ruined it. It was, uh, you know, they passed the Communications Act of 96, which made it legal for radio stations, to radio owners to own anywhere from six to nine different radio stations, depending on the market size. And before, they had the duopoly, where you could only own two stations, an AM and FM combo. That's where you get the word sister station from. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember back in the 80s, especially, they'd say, tune in to our sister station. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where that came from, was the duopoly. And uh, then um, they said, okay, you can now own three radio stations, but they really messed it up when they said you can own nine stations. Because not only could you do that, but now you can own TV station, a newspaper, and a syndicated network. It's just gotten a mess. It's become too corporate. The fun yeah. is taken out of it. Um, it's not like it used to be. You know, when I was working with the Lee family, Kim Lee, they owned Z103. A lot of stations back in the 90s, well, I don't know about a lot, but a, some, you know, were family owned and privately owned. Um, but now it's it's gotten away from that. Except for, did you, uh, what is it, X96? Is that what you're talking about? X96, well, they're even corporate. Are, aren't, they're local, aren't they? Yeah, but it's sold by a corporation, Broadway uh, Media. Okay, okay. And I know they're not as good as they used to be because I remember how they were. Even back when Simmons bought them out. Of course, now Simmons is Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's funny. We, we were talking about that. Uh, DJ Mike Summers and I were talking about that on Facebook the, over the weekend. Yeah, and it just seems like, you know, they change, the stations change ownership so much now. Yeah. Um, do they turn over every couple of years? I mean, it seems yeah. to. a lot of corporations go into debt, and so they sell. And... Mm-hmm. Or, uh, in the case of Clear Channel, they sold all their small-town radio stations. Yeah, it's it's not as good as it used to be. But uh, tell us a little bit about some of the fun things you used to do at Z103. Uh, it's crazy. I think back and it just was some of the best years of my life. Um, from about 95 to 2000, uh, I worked at Z103 with uh, Mike Nelson and Brad Collins. Brad is still there doing the morning show uh, with my old intern. Uh, her name is slipping my mind at this point, but she's there. Uh, I think Mike Nelson's with Classy up there, but we did, we just had a blast. I did the evening show, so we did a lot of fun contests, goofy stuff, stuff I probably shouldn't have done, got away with it. If it was corporate-owned, oh, I probably would have been fired. Oh, yeah. But it was so laid back, and and we just had a lot of fun, you know, with, with the callers and the contest, and it was, it was, it was pretty much like a free-for-all um, in some, some ways. Now, the, the music was... Of course, scheduled and everything, but um, I had flexibility on what contests I wanted to come up with and what did I what I wanted to give away in, in some some ways. So it, it was a blast. Um, we had, you know, the hot eight at eight. This countdown where you know people would call in and if they can name all the eight songs, they win some stuff, some prizes, uh, some crazy. I don't know if you want to hear some of the 
the goof. It was more. It was more goofy. I look back. Yeah, let's at, go ahead and talk about it. It was on the borderline of almost kind of stupid, but um, one time we had this. My friend and I, Carrie, his name's Carrie. He was in um, radio, and we just came up with some crazy ideas. Blender Boy was one of them. So we we actually set a table out in the in the parking lot in Idaho Falls in front of the station. Had a blender, got all this weird food together. Uh, you know, just a weird mixture of stuff. Was it blender? a Vitamix blender? I don't know. I think it was one of my old blenders I had from the DI or something. <laughs> so I, I was not. Oh, and that's another thing. I was not rich back then. Radio does not pay unless no. you're a big, big city. Yeah. So we just mixed these concoctions together and invited people to come over and put them on the air. And if they could, they could drink, drink it, they'd win. And we had some people come over. One guy literally threw up right in front of me. Oh, no. But can you can you imagine somebody in Salt Lake or any other city doing that nowadays on radio? Wouldn't work. It, I don't it, think. What it would if work. it was a private owned station and the owner yes. didn't care? But yeah. corporate, no. No corporate. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, oh, my friend Carrie. You know, he 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 wasn't employed at the station, but he would come over and hang out with me. Approved. You know, it was all approved. But uh -huh. we we uh, did this. You know, kind of a spoof radio group called the Eskimo farmers. We just came up with a funny name and we would have the music, the, the bed of the music, you know, music beds in the background. Um, and so we would add our own lyrics to it and we put our songs on, on the radio and people would call up and we were horrible. You know, we our our voices are horrible to this day, but people called up and requested, Hey, we want to hear the Eskimo farmers. And it was just one of our little skits that we would do. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And unfortunately it, in 2000, it was bought out. Um, I don't know who bought it out then, but they moved to Blackfoot. They're still in Blackfoot, Idaho now. And I moved to TV, um, and, and left radio behind for the exception of 2005 in Salt Lake city. So, okay. Yeah. Now, uh, you weren't, how long did you work for Star 102.7? Only about six months. The on-air team was eventually laid off. Mike Nelson was there. He, he was laid off. He was the program director due to the uh, simul simulcasting of the uh, AM signal to the FM signal. And so now it's, star, or it's not star. It's 102.7 AM news or whatever it may be. I'm not sure. but Yeah, KSL FM 102.7. Yeah. Yep. And so then we all just got laid off with no notice. Goodbye, you know, and Mike went off to do his thing, and, um, and I did my thing, but that'll be for another uh, podcast from my understanding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have an intriguing story, uh, and, yeah, I do want to get into it on, on another podcast just because it'll take a while. Let's sure. talk about uh, 102.7 real briefly, though, mm -hmm. because I know a little bit of inside story there. The reason... Uh, KSL changed to 102.7, or the reason Bonneville Communications changed that to 102.7 is because there's a, there was a radio station coming on the air over Labor Day weekend called 97.5 FM Talk back in 2005. Mm -hmm. And that made KSL panic, never mind the fact that 97.5 FM Talk was just a rimshot station, meaning the transmitter was clear up in the windows and barely got into Salt Lake. That's why they had to put boosters all over the Wasatch Front. And in some cases, you can't even get that station today on certain radios. But anyway, 
they were panicked, and so they changed it to 102.7 KSL. And I honestly didn't think the simulcast would last this long, but that's another story. Yeah. Uh, tell us um, how you got into filmmaking. I know we'll get into this in another podcast briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us how you got into filmmaking. Then we'll uh, talk about some of the films. And, of course, we'll present, uh, we'll use Life Under the Horseshoe as a staple. But let's go ahead and talk about how you got into film uh, filmmaking. Sure. Well, I think that the background for me of film was always there. I I grew up with a camera in my hands, a video camera, an old VHS camcorder back in the 80s and 90s. And uh, I have a, a TV background in front of the camera and behind and so I, I took that experience and I, I left news. You know, I, I got worn out on it after working at a KUTV in Salt Lake. And then, and then we'll, my experiences, we'll talk about that at a later time. But so after that, in, starting in 20, 2012, just um, what, three and a half, four years ago, I'm like, I, I want to I do this. You know, I, I feel like I want to make a difference in this world somehow through my poor choices and everything and my negative experiences and really um, get deeper into stories more so than the media does about what, you know, what the person's like, uh, what, what really happens when this happens, you know, what, what does this person do if this happens and really dig deeper into um, meaningful filmmaking. And so I, uh, I think it was in 2013, I decided to do a very low budget film on Tourette syndrome. My, my stepdaughter has Tourette syndrome and with my wife there and we, we shot her, you know, going through some tics and some experiences. She went to a, you know, a counselor in the film. And then we also highlighted some other people in Salt Lake that, that live with Tourette syndrome. And we talked to some professionals and doctors and I put it together and as a, I think it's a 39 minute film and it took like five months to do. And I just put it out. I put it on YouTube and, um, you know, was able to get a distributor for it, an educational distributor, which is great. And that was my first film. Shot on a uh, Sony, I think it was A57 or something, the camera that I had. Um, And then from there, I just, I moved on to other films. I've done, I think this, I'm working on my fifth film now. Five, Five films in about three and a half, four years. Now, uh, one of the films that I thought was uh, really heartwarming and I want to talk about is uh, Forgiveness, A Journey. Yeah, the Forgiveness Journey film. Yeah. That was yeah, that was like my third film, I think. Uh, I don't know. I'm starting to get them all mixed up now. <laughs> um, but yes, I worked on that for about a year and a half along with my wife. And we really wanted to do something that spoke to us, you know, and was meaningful to us and to other people. And that was, that was a hard film. We traveled to Portland, interviewed some people there about their forgiveness story, some people that were abused and, um, you know, just had horrible childhoods. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, you know, it, it took about a year and a half to do. My story is in there partially, um, you know, because of my situation with my uh, daughter, I don't really have the best relationship with her, not by ch- choice, but just because of my my uh, choices years ago, mm-hmm. we are struggling to rebuild a relationship. So my forgiveness story is trying to forgive her for not forgiving me and hoping that she's going to forgive me, but I can't force it. I have to wait 
it's on our own terms. I can't say, hey, you know, why haven't you forgiven me yet? It's been 10 years now, you know. Yeah. Um, that's got to be hard. It is very hard. You know, we have email contact, which is uh, awesome. And I'm hoping one day that we'll move to phone calls and then maybe eventually um, uh, seeing each other in person. But, you know, I don't want to rush it. Tell us about, because uh, I do want to get into your story in a separate podcast. We'll allude to it uh, more in the podcast. Tell us about uh, Kurt, the guy yes. that was, oh, Karen that and, was Karen and Curtis. Yeah, Curtis. Karen and Curtis, yes. They, uh, okay, so Curtis, well, Karen is the adoptive mother of Curtis. So she adopted Curtis when he was a baby. Due to uh, the the uncle, um, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is, it gets a little confusing, but I'm not sure if it was the birth uncle or an adoptive uncle. Uh, I have to look, you'd have to watch the film to clarify that, but. Anyway, he was uh, abused very badly um, by this this uncle. Yeah, it was his and biological uncle. It was a biological. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, he was put on a hot stove. He was, um, you know, um, just severely abused. The the most severely abused child in the United States to survive back when this was occurring. I think Curtis is in his twenties now. Um, yeah, that's what it sounded like. Yeah, mid to late twenties, I believe, and and so we interviewed them, and it's just they they are amazing people. They they have given this man forgiveness. In fact, before we left and on camera, they they said we we would like to sit down in a safe environment with the uncle and and ask him why he did it, you know, and if he's sorry, and that and that um, that they forgive him. Yeah, you know, I was listening to that story, and it reminded me a little bit of David Rothenberg. Mm -hmm. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, David Rothenberg was a kid that was burnt to death, almost died when he was six years old. Matter of fact, if you do a search on David Rothenberg on YouTube, there's actually a drama that ABC did back on uh, October 28th, I believe is what it was, mm -hmm. of uh, 1988. It was really sad. And I remember watching it when I was a kid because uh, they re-aired it back in 91. Mm -hmm. And it yeah. was just very sad and tragic. Um, I guess the question I have for you is, well, let's talk about forgiveness for a minute. Mm -hmm. um, I well, think the misconception, I don't think, this is my opinion, just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean that you're going to become best friends again. Sometimes it might. No, yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And take Elizabeth Smart. Mm -hmm. She forgives <clears throat> David or Brian David Mitchell, but there is no way that he's coming over to Elizabeth's house for dinner. <laughs> no, no, uh, I don't think so. And, and Nor you know, should he? Oh no, no, uh, I don't think so. I mean, there, there's you can have forgiveness and not have reconciliation. And you know, Elizabeth Smart, if that's what she said, if she's said she's given forgiveness to him, and, and that's for her too, so she doesn't carry that burden. Yeah. That's that's my opinion. But I agree with I you one hundred percent. Yeah, and and so you know, it takes it takes time to move through the phases of forgiveness, just like the phases of grief. There's phases of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And it is, 
not always possible for everybody, and that's okay, you know. Um, so it sometimes it takes a lifetime, depending on depending on what happened to you. If we're talking about a a minor thing like you know, hey, someone stole five bucks, you know, I mean, versus abuse or murder or something like that, it's all going to depend on the the offense and the damage done. Well, what is forgiveness to you? I think it means. I'll try to explain it the best I can. You forgive somebody. You don't think about killing them or whatever. You just move on. I guess I kind of look at it this way. God forgave David Mm -hmm. for killing Bathsheba's husband. But you notice how God didn't trust David again to the highest degree. Wow, yeah. Um, He didn't get his throne back. And I guess it's kind of like... Maybe this is a bad example, but breaking up with somebody. Uh-huh. Maybe you had a really bad breakup. Um, you're angry at the person you broke up with, divorced, whatever. But there's a part of you that wishes the, the girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, well. Yeah. And maybe you'll be cordial when you see each other. But you're not going to get back into a relationship. Maybe you'll be kind to each other. Maybe you'll be somewhat friends again or friends again, but it'll never be to that level. Do you think that's a good example? Yeah, I think that's a good example. That that could be an example for some people. Yeah. Um, and there's, of course, some people that might say, hey, we're going to get back together. I mean, what happens if, you know, you were, you're married and your spouse cheated on you? Yeah, and you decide to stay together and work through it, and the trust is rebuilt. Trust takes time. Yeah. Now, of course, if someone's going to re repeat the offense or repeat what they're doing, then the chances of you know building trust is probably impossible. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, it's different for everybody. You know, there's no clear cut, in my opinion, there's no clear cut definition of forgiveness. Yeah, but but the closest one for me was just be letting go of the anger, uh, for for the wrong that has been done to you, you know, something to that effect. Yeah, and uh, that was a very heart touching film, especially when uh, I know you didn't get them on camera, but you read something about how somebody was wronged by the Nazis, and the person said, "I will not stoop to the Nazis' level, but I forgive them." That doesn't yes. mean what they did was right. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, I think that that was really interesting. It was a film that made me think, and that's what I like about your films is they make you think. Um, especially, tell us a little bit about last uh, last day with Lizzie. Yeah, last day with Lizzie was a, it was a uh, fun um, short film that we did in in 2014 with a small crew. The actors were uh, amazing, but they were um, they were uh, not paid. They were volunteers. So we did this film on about a $750 budget, including the catering. So you can imagine, um, we shot it in the Mill Creek Canyon. In 12 hours, I had a wonderful DP, director of photography, and the film, uh, without giving too much away, is about a teenage girl, um, well, I should say this, it's about a father who is 
grieved and 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 is also kind of asking for forgiveness in a way from his teenage daughter. And so they they have some conversations and you're not really sure what's going on. Is she really there? Is she not? Is she in just spirit? Um it's kind of deep. You might have to watch it a couple of times to get the clues in there. But it's symbolic, you know, it seems to me that I have to pull my own experiences from my own experiences in my filmmaking somehow because that's like where I can write the best. You know, I wrote the film and I it was it just it just worked out really well when I was writing it. And it kind of, uh, you know, it's a little bit about my, my, my lack of relationship with my daughter. You know, we don't have a relationship. My daughter isn't dead, but uh, we don't talk. And, and it, so it's like, you know, forgiveness and grief and all that stuff mixed in. But it does have a happy, I mean, it sounds depressing. It's not, but it has a happy ending to it. It does. A bittersweet, I guess, bittersweet ending. Yeah. Um, how much money are you making off these films? Because most of them are on YouTube, so people can watch yeah. them for free, even though I noticed there is a link to buy them on DVD. But um, the realist in me says, who's going to buy them on DVD well, you want, if you yeah. can watch them online? Yeah, let me add this up for you. You want to know how much I'm making? Yeah. Okay, so two plus three plus two, about five, about five dollars. <laughs> five dollars a film? No, I'm just playing. Uh, really, I haven't made any money, and that, you know, I'm okay with that. Of course, I'd like to make my money back as a filmmaker. It's very time consuming, but yeah. with what, what makes me tick, the Tourette film, we have uh, a distributor, so we we get a very small amount, you know, quarterly. And it's been out for a few years, and I think we may have made our money back. You know, we have not profited. The other films, they are free to see. Um, unless I get a distributor, it, you know, it'll be free to see. Now, our Life Under the Horseshoe, which we'll talk about in a second, is, um, from my understanding, it's going to be on Amazon Prime. I do have a distributor for that, and it's uh, maybe going into educational sc schools and things like that. Now, so. why isn't Life Under the Horseshoe on YouTube? I know the trailer <laughs> is. Yeah, because of that reason, um, I wanted to see what was going to happen with this uh, distributor. It's taken a while, but he, th they're working on getting it on Amazon Prime. And so um, so I kind of want to see what happens with that. Um, so it, it kind of depends on the film you know, that I've done and how available it is. But my main goal is for everybody to, to watch the films and to learn from it and just you know, enjoy them. Let's so. talk about Life Under the Horseshoe. Uh, how did you hear about it, and uh, what made you decide to do a film on it? And we'll okay, talk well, about Life Under the Horseshoe itself, because it's a really neat program. By the way, let me just uh, start off by saying yeah. Life Under the Horseshoe is a lot like Prairie Home Companion. It's a radio drama with uh, a lot of singing and a story at the end, mm -hmm. uh, put on by Mark and Vicki Allen, who I will be interviewing tomorrow, by the way. Cross my fingers. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So uh, how did you hear about Life Under the Horseshoe? What inspired you to do a film about it? Well, uh, due to my radio background, um, I, I was looking online and searching for Utah News, looking for a fun idea. Just finished up the Forgiveness Journey film, so I wanted something light and fun and found a news article about this radio show in Spring City, this uh, live stage radio show that they record um, onto the FM signal there. And uh, called them up, and they said, we would love to. We'd love to have you come down. 
And so my wife and I went down there um, last summer. I think it was in like May. Met them, talked about our ideas. And Mark and Vicky have a, a fascinating family history too. The the hosts of the radio show. Yeah. Uh, so we we talked a little bit about that in the film, and then. Lawrence and Lana Gardner, the owners of the building and the producer or the directors of the show, they they have an amazing story too of how they repaired the theater um, over the years, and it's a beautiful building now. It's a historic building, um, and so we we my wife and I went down there for about five months, I think. Um, well, I mean, about ten times over five months, and and yeah. shot interviews and talked to locals and kind of got the the what's all what spring city's all about you know the little town and and also featured the show and a little bit about mark and vicky's family history and um it's a short film it's 25 minutes i did that because i was shooting for some tv coverage and we we did get it on kjazz tv uh back last november i think it was that they aired it and uh yeah so now a distributor's picked it up and i'm excited and i i hope you know, our goal was to to help Mark and Vicky and Lawrence and Lana to get it to get their radio show syndicated, and um, you know, I'm hoping that is going to start soon. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad that they're not doing Life Under the Horseshoe this year. I, I was really sad about that because I had plans to go down and see a couple episodes over the summer. But the yeah. thing about uh, Life Under the Horseshoe, I don't know if you remember uh, Matt. There used to be a guy named Tom Bodet. Tom Bodette. Is that like, we'll keep your light on or something? Yep, I'm Tom Bodette from Motel <laughs> 6, and we'll yes. keep the light on for you. Well, he used to do a radio show called End of the Road. And I don't know how long it was on the air for, but I remember listening to it as a kid, and I only dreamed of being one of the people in the audience that would be clapping and laughing. And uh -huh. when I went to see Life Under the Horseshoe, you were actually there the same day I was there. I didn't know it at the time. Um, really? I went to the last episode, yeah. Oh, wow, um, yeah. And I, I, it reminded me of, I guess in a way, my dream came true. Maybe not with Tom Bodette, but just the idea of seeing a show like that being recorded and laughing and clapping and all the things that you do in a drama like that. It was uh, a lot of fun. Now, let's uh, tell people, tell me if you agree with me or not. It seems like... I was kind of surprised at the theater. I was expecting it to be a modern-day theater that just happened to be restored. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't. It kind of looks like the cultural hall of an LDS church a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It, I, I, a very I, small cultural hall, but yes. Yes, I would agree. They, Lawrence and Lana um, took years to um, you know, redo the, the uh, building, and they, I think they did a great job. They have an amazing set you know, with set pieces. You have Horseshoe Mountain painted on the back, um, and they also have you know, uh, just a, an amazing crew, too. They were all also volunteers on this, running audio and lights, and it's, it's a big production. Yeah, and I, I enjoyed it because it's just like old fashioned, a fun time, you know. It's yeah, it's a different feel. Like, hey, let's go to the movies, you know. No, this is different. This is something that you everybody should experience at least once, you know. Somehow that leads me into a question. Um, I know you're not LDS, but you can interpret this however you want. But when I was uh, when I went to the theater, 
you know, I thought it was um, interesting how the layout and everything. But once the show began, you know, once they told us to be quiet and did the countdown and started recording the show, mm -hmm. I really felt, and I told Mark and Vicky Allen this, and Vicky Allen actually gave me a big hug after, afterwards. Oh, wow. But um, I told her, I really felt the spirit of the Lord when you started recording the show. Did you feel something similar? Did you feel God's spirit, or what was your experience? Well, I, I have to agree with you. I, um, I mean, I am not, I'm not LDS, but I, I can be very spiritual. And I think for me, um, I don't know if I, I had this sudden, you know, feeling because at the, you know, I was filming at the same time. <laughs> so it was a little, little bit hard yeah. to really relax completely. Um, but I, I felt like it's like a kind of a peaceful experience. Um, it almost like a family, like you're in this small theater and it holds like a hundred people, but it's it's intimate. Yeah, you know, you're 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 sitting around with people, with neighbors and friends or strangers, and it just feels like the show opens up the possibility of just getting no to know people too. You know, and yeah, I don't know how to explain it, but I I think there was something there for me personally. Yeah, um, and, and I uh, I felt once I left the theater because I stayed for cake and ice cream. I'm sure you did too. Yeah. Um, I was filming it. Yeah. <laughs> I was filming oh, okay. people eating the cake and ice cream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but once I, after I left the theater, I thought, I don't want to leave this town. First oh, of all, the air yeah. smelled good and clean and just had a homeliness to it. Uh, how old are you, Kevin? Uh, I am 35, going on to 36. I'll be 36 on the 11th of April. Okay, so I'm 42, you know, and I think as we get older... I mean, for me, at least, that you know, you'd mentioned you didn't want to leave the town. I didn't, my wife and I didn't want to leave it either. I grew up in the country in Northern California. My wife grew up in Swan Valley, Idaho. And I think that really that town connected with us. Um, and it's, it's that small town feel that a lot of us you know, love. And uh -huh. uh, we didn't want to go back to South Jordan. When we lived in South Jordan, we didn't want to go back because it was – I'm to the point where I need to get to the country. <laughs> and you need to eat a lot of peaches. <laughs> yeah, and that would be the president of the United States of America. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Moving to the country, yes. gotta eat me a lot. Well, of peaches. for me, it would be apples because I'm from the <laughs> apple country. But. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great town, and I I haven't been down since we had a film release. We had a little event um, with the film, and we had some singers, a special event at the theater, and that was the last time that I've been down, I think it was November of last year, and I don't know, if they don't, I'm really bummed out about them not having the show, because if they don't have the show, I, I'm going to have to make a trip down there anyway, though, I think. Yeah, you, well, you know, um, there is, I don't know if you'd be interested, I don't care for it too much personally, and I'll tell you why later. Like I said, there's a Manti pageant that you can go to, put on by the LDS Church. I just don't like it because it goes back and forth, back to Book of Mormon times, then forward to Pioneer oh. times. It doesn't really make sense. Mm. But some people like it. I don't know if you'd like it or not. Uh, I guess you could always check it out. What's a pa like a pageant? Like a uh, parade or something? Or No, it's a play, and then people lip-sync to what's on. Oh. Yeah, it's really interesting. I don't know. I just don't care for it too much, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, and the reason I don't, like I said, you know, it talks about... The pioneers coming to 
Salt Lake area and all that. Then it goes to the Book of Mormon. I think, what do those two have to do with each other? Then huh. it goes right back to Pioneer Times, and I just didn't care for it. But, you know, you may like it, and whether you like the pageant or not, it's become a big social event. Interesting. People go down two or three hours before the pageant just to socialize. That sounds like another film right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 it could be. Um, well, at least, at least uh, if you're in Spring City, uh, you know, Mark and Vicki Allen own a B&B right there on Main Street, right next to the theater. Yeah, they do. I, th I think my wife and I are going to try to get down there this summer. So I think they have an old-fashioned bathtub, too, from what I have read about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have been in it, I think, and there was like this old-fashioned, like, I don't know, this rare um, sink or something, you know, and they have some really, their B&B is like a stepping back in time. It's amazing. Yeah. You'll see, you can see some of the, the um, at least the, the, the lower level part of the house in the film, some shots that we, we did there, so. Yeah. Well, that's, because uh, you've had some exposure to the LDS culture. I guess you went to high school with a friend in California that was LDS, and you didn't know he was LDS at the time. No. In fact, if someone said uh, to me back when I grew up in California, you know, are you LDS? I don't know what that was. I, I, I didn't know what... I, I, I knew... I have heard of Mormons back then, but I didn't really know what, what, what that meant. Uh, the only thing that I really remember growing up is, you know, the, the commercials sponsored by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that's stuck in my mind for some reason. And then my friend, yeah, I had a friend that, you know, I was fairly close to in high school. Didn't know he was LDS until he moved to Idaho, and I soon followed because of a radio career. And then I learned more about his religion, about his family, um, came really, really close friends with them. Um, I lived with their family for a while to get on, on my feet when I moved to Idaho, and um, so, yeah, it's just a great family. And then I, I started getting involved in the church, mm -hmm. and but, uh, you know, didn't didn't stick with it. That happens. Years. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you, uh, what do you like about the LDS culture, and what don't you like about it? Because um, you obviously have a pretty objective opinion being an outsider. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I think... I like the family, uh, the family feel or whatever of, of the church, of Mormon families, the importance of family. I've always felt that, you know, it's, it's very difficult for me to not be a father to my daughter because of what's happened. Yeah. And so that is really difficult for me. I st I'm, you know, still very bothered by it to this day. So yeah. I really enjoy the, the family unit. Um, and I've met just a lot of amazing Mormon people uh -huh. um, when I was living in Idaho and here. And, and so I think I would have to say that would be something that I, that I enjoy. Something I don't like about the LDS culture. Um, I'm trying to remember what – because we had talked about this before, and I'm trying to remember what I had said. <laughs> uh, well, I guess uh, you can say what you want, I guess. Oh, oh I see. I, I, I'm looking at my notes here, and oh. I – I do. I do remember. I I have a hard time, and not just the, the Mormon religion, but when a particular religion says that they are the only you know true church or only religion, that's difficult for me to swallow. Um, 
because I think we can learn so much from a lot of different religions. I've studied a lot of religions. Um, I don't have a degree or anything, but I've just picked up books and read about them. And, and I, that's hard for me to just, and it maybe it goes to faith, you know, um, that I, I don't have enough faith or something to believe that, that the church, the LDS church is the true church. But I think, I think faith that, is, uh, an interesting subject. Yeah. Cause I think this is not a bash against you or anybody who was in the church, oh, no. but you won't offend me. <laughs> I think faith is, uh, I guess you either have it or you don't. Uh, well, I guess. I, I mean, you can. Your faith can grow over time. It can fluctuate. True. I think, depending on you know events of your life. I think a lot uh -huh. of people, their faith increases during times of trial, and you know, yeah. and the the real test is, hey, let's say you know your life is perfect, everything's going great, you got a great job, your family's great, your wife, husband. How is the faith then? You know, is it going to remain? to when there, a crisis was going on. And, um, and, and during that crisis that I had, we'll talk about a later time, I, I reached out to the LDS church during that. Oh. And so I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just a bad person because every time something goes wrong, really wrong, it has to be pretty serious, that I look at religion again as a safety thing, I think. You know? By the way, I'm curious, when you reached out to the LDS church, how did that experience go? Because I'm curious about that. Well, it, it went good. Um, you know, I started going to church briefly in uh, 2006, mm -hmm. and, but I think I'm just too stubborn or something. I don't know. Um, again, I didn't stick with it, and I started researching a lot of different religions and Eastern philosophies, and I like something about every religion that I like. Mm -hmm. It's like songs, you know? I like a lot of songs, but I can't just say I like one group. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like By a lot way, of different I, music. I go all over the place with music. I like everything from Metallica to Lionel Richie to Celine yeah. Dion. I, so I, I like something. I even like some of mm -hmm. Brad. Yeah. So I like, you know, parts of the LDS uh, belief. I like uh, Buddhist belief. Um, you know, um, just a lot of different pieces and i just can't seem to maybe i just need to create my own religion maybe i'll mix everything together well <laughs> and then you get into the universalist uh unitarian universalist and and all that but that's a different that's a different podcast well, here's uh i'll give you my story uh summary i grew up lds and mm -hmm. kind of going back to the problem i see with the lds culture and i'm very i'm very lds but uh, the problem I have with culture is kind of what you alluded to, entitlement. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm LDS. Oh, well, that's great. Let's hang out. And a lot of it goes back to the parents. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a real strict LDS home, and we weren't allowed to date non-members. Well, that put a damper on a lot of friendships that I had or didn't have in high school. Because I grew up uh, in Oregon and Idaho, and when I went to high school in Idaho, quite frankly, I didn't get along with a lot of the church members there. I found the non-members easier to get along with. I see. Well, okay, that's fine. But as you know, high school, there was a lot of dating, a lot of dances. And so if you hang out with a certain group of people, well, 
the women, for in our case, in the group of people, will want to go on a date with you. That's just the way it goes, whether it be a dance or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you tell the parent, you tell your parents, oh, you can't go out with her. Oh, we're going to do this, this, this. And then, now, this never happened to me because I never got this far, but I've heard stories where the date came to pick the girl up. Oh, you're not going with her. You're not a member. And that just really makes the church look really bad. Yeah, and I, I don't know. It, it's it's not um, a church. Well, I don't know what the church says about that, but I think it, it goes back to the parents. What are the parents are going to allow? Yeah. You know, uh, how, you know, how much leeway are there that the children are going to have in meeting different types of people and then there's that fear like oh that that boy that teenager is not lds i don't know the family is he into drinking or whatever you know so yeah so yeah let me uh just continue on my story because i think it's uh, fascinating so i uh become became an adult and did my own thing after a while and Met this girl. Now, had I had the attitude, oh, she's not LDS, we can't be friends, because heaven forbid if we start dating, oh my, uh, all hell is going to break loose. Had I had that attitude, yeah, and this is why I completely disagree with parents who will not let their kids date non-members in high school. I think it's a shame. And I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying because someone's a non-member, go on a date with that person. No, I'm not saying that at all. But if you like the person, that person's a member or not, go out with that person. See what it's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I met a, a girl named Ashley. And had I had the attitude, oh, I, uh, she's a girl and she's not LDS. And what if we become friends and then we become serious? I'm yeah. not going to give her the time of day. Uh, I wouldn't have, I would uh, miss out on an awesome friendship that we have. Because I did try to get her to date me. And to make a long story short, we decided we'd be better off friends, partly because of the religion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, but we actually, ironically enough, get along better now that we're just friends as opposed to me trying to date her. And that's good. You've, you have a it friend is. now. Yeah, it's very you might not have. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I'd like to say to the parents out there listening, don't be so close-minded mm-hmm. because, okay, sure, it was a hairy relationship I was in. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm not going to get into it too far. At least now we, okay, we explored areas <laughs> we shouldn't have without getting into it. Okay. But guess what? I learned a lot, made a good friend. We're still friends. And your faith wasn't shaken. No. Yeah. So um, now, well, uh, okay. Before I met Ash, before I met Ashley, and while we were dating, I was inactive. But uh, and some will say, oh, well, that's because of Ashley. No, I wasn't very active before Ashley and I started getting serious. Anyway, but kind of back to this faith thing. I was on the phone with a. A person who, let's just say a prospective candidate, as I used to call them, (laughs) uh, with women. I used to say, well, maybe I'll meet a candidate today. It sounds official. Yes, meaning she was a prospective girlfriend. I would call her a candidate. Okay. And I realized at that point, 
this is really what, what I want. This is who I am at heart. Even though I tried to get away from it, this is who I really am. And so I stuck with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, in the, in the end, my faith wasn't shaken. Uh, Ashley and I are good friends. And, uh, yes, I don't expect Ashley to convert to the church, but I definitely planted a seed, and that seed uh, will remain forever. Well, you know, it's funny because you would think that some parents would say, hey, you know, uh, let's say my daughter, you know, their daughter is dating a non-LDS boy, uh, teenager or whatever. It may be an opportunity for that young man to learn about the church, but they almost think it's the other way where that, that guy is going to lead my, my daughter astray. I think it can go two ways. Um, I do understand it from the parent's viewpoint a little bit, but let, at the same time, you're right. It could be a good opportunity. Uh, but I have seen it both ways. I've seen situations yeah. where the guy converts, and once the breakup happens, the guy doesn't go to church again. I don't want to judge the guy, but yeah. that does happen. And I think parents want to avoid that. But at the same time, take me and Ashley. Okay? Um, Ashley, I don't think will convert, but that's Okay. We, I planted a good seed, sowed it in front yeah. of mine with Ashley, and it's very healthy. In fact, uh, you might be, you may not have heard of this, but those on the podcast have heard of it. Uh, you may be surprised, the, the uh, audience on the podcast, uh, Ashley and I actually watched Saturday's Warrior. Okay. Which is a movie I was really yeah. reluctant to show Ashley, but she wanted to see it, so we saw it, and she liked it. Oh. So... Yeah, I I don't want to get off this topic, but this is something I have a passion about. Um, And it kind of goes back to what you said. One thing you didn't like about the culture is the entitlement. Well, yeah, unfortunately it's there, and I blame a lot of the parents for that. And I, what do you think about this? I mean, you'd know more about this, but we're talking about the culture. Are we talking about Utah LDS culture? Are we talking about, you know, because it could be We could talk about both. Well, we could, it could be very different outside of Utah. I've talked to yeah. some people that are LDS, and they say, oh, people that are LDS back east are totally different. So, but I, I don't know what it's Well, like. I, I will say this. Uh, I lived in Louisiana, but I wasn't very active in the LDS church, so I don't know how LDS people were back there. I'd go to church on occasion, mm-hmm. go to an occasional activity, but that was about it. But I can tell you this. I dated a girl from California. Uh, back in my younger days. And I also have a friend from California who is LDS. Mm -hmm. And I've also met a few people from California. And I can tell you, they are more laid back than the LDS people in Utah, generally speaking. For example, if you were to swear around, and I'm, I'm stereotyping here, but I want to get a point across. So I realize I'm stereotyping, but um, at the same time, it's true. If you were to meet a Mormon from California who was really devoted to the church and you swore around that person, it's been my experience, they're not going to get as defensive as somebody from Utah might. Or they might not get defensive at all. For all we know, they might swear a little bit. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're not devoted to it, it's just who they are. Mm-hmm. And somebody here... 
uh, you swear around a Utah Mormon. Uh, wow, the, the, the <laughs> chance of them getting defensive are high. I've seen it. Wow. And again, I'm stereotyping and I'm being really general, but it's it's true in a lot of cases. Well, I just think there's there's more diversity, you know, different yeah. cultures and stuff out of Utah and even Idaho because I lived in Idaho and it was very yep. – uh, not a lot of culture there, and so California, you know, New York, Florida. There's there's a lot of different types of people, and I think um, being around different cultures, you know, maybe opens your eyes a little bit more, you yeah. know, to certain things. So, yeah, absolutely. And but back to your question, I think one of the reasons why love is blind. And I think one of the reasons why some parents will not, and I'm not saying it's right because I disagree with it, but I think one of the reasons some parents don't want their kids to date non-LDS people is because um, love is blind. And what if the kid goes down the forbidden path and the person who they're dating is highly influential? That does happen. And, um, yeah, my and response the hopes to that is, well... Hopefully your kid can come back or something. Yeah, I mean, sometimes... In that case, work with your kid or whatever. I'm sure you've seen it. You know, kids rebel. Teenage years, they they don't want this church. This is crazy. And then they might come back. They might not. Mm -hmm. But, you you know, I still think you need to support your child, no matter what religion they're in, Mm -hmm. um, if you agree with it or not. And, um, you know, my, my, uh, my daughter's LDS. And uh, she knows I'm not, but I'm not giving her a hard time or anything about it. I support her. Yeah. Well, um, some things I, I mean, obviously I'm LDS. One thing I can say that I really like is the community. And when I say community, I'm talking about the support system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you it's know, true. Religion can be, uh, whether you're Catholic, whatever, if you're staunch whatever, staunch Catholic, staunch Mormon, staunch Mason, whatever, <laughs> it really is social networking. Yeah. Because you go somewhere else and, oh, you're Mormon. And you, let's say, in my case, I go to Ohio, Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I'm in church. I'm single, I'm blind, I'm all this. Or let's just say I'm walking down the streets of Cleveland. Now, the chances of me running into an LDS person are next to nothing, but let's say I do. Mm -hmm. Guess what? There's a bond, and chances are, oh, we'll have you over for dinner sometime. Oh, let's exchange numbers. Now, that is really cool. Yeah, I I agree. And that would be one of the other things I like, too, the... the the support and the friendships, and I think that's uh, extremely important. I mean, our neighbors here have been great. They they helped us move in, and so they brought us gifts, and it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I hope uh, your daughter didn't – did your daughter have an ex- – well, I guess you were LDS, though, so at the time, so I guess it didn't matter. But when was glad, it? Well, you just hear these stories. Oh, my parents won't let, my oh. parents won't let me play with you because you're not LDS or – well, I, I, you know, I, I had a great relationship with my daughter until she was about eight. And so I remember, uh, you know, I don't know. And I, I don't even know if she's dating right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't know much, but I hope to know more. <laughs> well, uh, is there anything else you want to say on this podcast? Um, not that I, you know, I just want to thank you for having me on, on the show here. And um, 
you know, I appreciate it. I hope people get down to Spring City, watch the show, listen to your podcast, and um, learn a little bit about LDS culture on your podcast. So thank you. Yeah, well, um, don't forget coming up uh, on the next podcast is Mark and Vicki Allen from Life Under the Horseshoe. And I think we have gotten all these technical issues worked out. Uh, I'm going to listen to the podcast before I put it up. And uh, we will see you hopefully on Monday or Tuesday, folks. Goodbye.